The commission has heard evidence from several police witnesses who have been asked questions essentially about whether more could have been done to limit or control the size and scope of the protest uh, in Ottawa in the early days. Um, I, I've, I've heard your answers, but I'm just going to ask you one more time. Was the police response to the convoy what you were expecting or anticipating when you arrived? I guess a hard question to answer. Um, I believe they did the best they could. Um, the, the scope of the amount of vehicles that came in, um, I, I don't know how things went so, went so wrong when we first arrived. The voice of Chris Barber. He is uh, one of the first protest organizers who pulls back the curtain on how he got involved in the occupation and how things got so out of hand. And he testified on uh, Tuesday. A pretty, like a pretty much a, a normal guy. If you didn't know he was associated with the trucking convoys, you just would have thought he was just some average Canadian. But he was against the mandates, despite the fact that he is himself vaccinated. He did admit that. But as a truck owner, he saw and felt that the, uh, for, uh, the Trudeau government was not listening to their pleas. And so he was testifying that there was no plan. There was no actual group in charge of the convoys. It was just this small, organic uh, number of groups on social media who all seemed to come together on the same thing or whatever their axe was to grind. And, you know, he says, I'm a self-described Internet troll who got into some trouble with what he said. He didn't know many of the groups or uh, the more radical figures, so he didn't uh, have any connections to Tamara Litch or Pat King, who is known, among other things, for his racist stance. But Barbara said, look, I didn't, I didn't read that memorandum, so he didn't know about this plan to overthrow the government. He wasn't interested in that. And he talked about this internal power struggle that really splintered groups that ended up pushing their own agenda. But nonetheless, he was asked, you know, well, what about your own hateful rhetoric? You posted a whole bunch of stuff online. How are we to believe you? But he says, look, I'm a changed man. If you wanted to speak to some of the racist or anti-Muslim things you posted. Well, I can honestly say that, that if anybody learned anything or grew more during the convoy, it was me. I, uh, I, was, uh, I was a different person nine months ago, whatever it was, ten months ago. Coming out here and seeing the amount of love and the, the people of all different colors, all different race, everything. It was, it was such a diverse crowd of people here. There was... Uh, said there were so many tears, there were so many hugs, there was so much laughter, there was so much... It changed the person. It changed me. Yeah, there was so much horn honking, <laughs> but you couldn't stop. Nonetheless, he faces a number of charges. He did distance himself from the more polarizing figures, but made clear, look, I didn't go to Ottawa to cause trouble. He did come across, like I said, a pretty normal guy. Let me bring in Dr. Marnie Wedlack to this, converse, Wedlack to this conversation assistant professor at the Department of Health Studies at Western University and a registered a psychotherapist. Great to have you on. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So if you were to see Mr. Baber, Chris Barber, uh, in his uh, testimony, if you didn't know who he was, I think most people would think, well, there's a pretty normal guy. How could he have gotten caught up in this? And it will be up to the judge to decide if he was up to no good or what he added to the overall issue. But, you know, when we talk about these big occupations and people say, well, how can people get involved in this? And I always say, for my coverage of the G20, when you get something like that with a mob mentality, it is easy to fall into it. Do you, do you see this issue with what we're talking about now in these uh, inquiries? 
Absolutely, right? And, and uh, I mean, you, you, you've got ingredients for something like, you know, one of these sort of proverbial perfect storms, and your, your phrase, a normal guy, is really apt, because most of these are, are just, just regular folks, right? But there are, there are all kinds of reasons why people come together as a crowd, and then they just start discharging their anger in all kinds of directions like this. And if we sort of step back from that, um, as a species, it's really not hard to manipulate us, or really not hard to get us going um, in a kind of a mob mentality in a group way. It's 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 a it's part of who we are. Is that we are? Um, uh, if you look at the work of Edward Bernays, he was uh, the founding father of modern PR. Interestingly enough, he was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew, and he created a campaign in the late 1920s called the Torches of Freedom campaign that was a strategic advertising campaign intended to get women smoking, to sort of branch out and get big tobacco having more customers. And he did that based on his Uncle Sigmund's work, and it was really exploiting these underlying drives and unconscious motivations. And all of us are like that. So if you get a group like this convoy group that you call the the normal folks, um, they are likely uh, a group of individuals who may, you, you know, you, I think you use the term axe to grind, but maybe these are folks that are angry about their angry about related issues or unrelated issues. Maybe some of them feel disenfranchised or oppressed. And here comes an opportunity to discharge that anger. And so before you know it, the crowd starts growing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we saw that. Yeah, because before the um, occupation, which I certainly didn't support, I mean, you know, there was a lot of Canadians, I mean, millions of Canadians who supported this. And I suspect it was, you know, two years of anger, two years of lockdowns, two years of basically, you know, living in pandemic hell. There was a lot to be angry about for Canadians. And what a great venue then to express uh, your outrage. Um, So I suspect that while there were some bananas in that crowd, or maybe I shouldn't call them bananas, but there were some definite uh, people with uh, nefarious um, opinions in that crowd, to paint them all like that is, to me, unfair, because I would suspect that there were probably some vulnerable people in there, people who maybe just wanted to latch on to it, which you will get, um, I think, pretty much at every protest. You'll always get like a very polarizing group that that attracts people um, that may not think that they'd be attracted to that. Sure. I mean, you're naming several things that are really important here. We had two years where people are, they're just done. They're just really done. And, and are they angry or are they despairing? Are they afraid? Right. I mean, it's much easier and it causes us to feel much less vulnerability to be angry than it does to feel despairing or afraid or depressed or anxious in more medicalized terms, right? So there's one thing there. I mean, people want a sense of belonging. They want to feel like they're doing something. They want a chance to speak out. They want a chance to voice their opinion. Add to all of that, um, we all know that much of what went on in the pandemic was very political. It was politicized. Instead of it being a a massive global public health catastrophe, it became a massive uh, political catastrophe in many ways, right? And so it was so many ingredients came together to enable a a large group of people who needed to discharge their, their feelings for whatever reason or reasons, and here came an opportunity to do so. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've covered a number of protests um, over the years, and you know, you'll find people in the crowd. One, one of the memories of the G20 is when, when the Black Bloc uh, folks came running through the crowd of thousands, there was only about 20 or 30 of them, but they wreaked such havoc, and all of a sudden there were people running in and joining them and breaking windows and doing this. And I remember talking to one fella after, and he said, I don't know what happened to me. I just, I saw them doing it, and I all of a sudden this adrenaline started running, and I just got involved. I just, I'm not that kind of person. And yet, there were lots of people doing it. Right, and and the, and it's a really important point you're raising is that most people are carrying 
the weight of things they are frustrated by, things they want to, they want to project that rage somewhere, right? They want to get rid of it. And so here comes an opportunity to do so, right? And it doesn't take much to get us jumping on a bandwagon. And if we are already frustrated or stressed or anxious or afraid, and here's an opportunity, and it just maybe speaks to us in some way, or even it doesn't, it's just an opportunity, then it, it really does call to that unconscious drive to jump on that bandwagon, to become part of that crowd mentality, and then away we go. Yeah, I mean, it's not to excuse anyone's actions. You're responsible for your own actions. But uh, generally speaking, there's always a quote-unquote root cause to these things. And uh, and about what we're learning, I think, this week, certainly with the protesters, is pretty fascinating. They went there, they didn't really have a playbook, uh, but it just kind of grew into something that got out of control very quickly. Well, I think that's a really important point, is that that uh, ideally most people will not um, see that this this protest was something that should happen. I mean, I, I certainly find it to be quite objectionable myself, speaking personally. But beneath it is a group of individuals who had, they had their thoughts, they had their feelings, they had their burdens they were carrying. Maybe some of them were feeling oppressed or marginalized or disenfranchised, you know. So it, you know, so we can look at the Freedom Convoy as a really egregious example of what went sideways in a in a protest, and hopefully we won't lose the opportunity to look at it. Well, there's a really large group of people there that are carrying a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, uh, feeling oppressed, feeling marginalized, feeling disenfranchised. What are we going to do about that so this kind of thing doesn't keep happening? Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, case study. We'll learn, I'm sure, hopefully. Well, hopefully the police will learn something from it because God knows there's been enough mistakes around it. But uh, I appreciate your uh, joining us and uh, giving your view. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. That's Dr. Dr. Marnie uh, Woodlake joining us here uh, today. And on the stand today, worth watching for sure, Pat King. He is one of the main, he's one of the most polarizing figures of this whole thing and certainly uh, has made a name for himself. It'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, how he deals with comments that he made, very racist comments online, and how his leadership came into play and what responsibility he bears. So he is on the stand tomorrow. Litch is on the stand. All the big players, Tom Marazzo's on the stand. So we're getting a complete uh, view from behind the scenes. So that will be what plays out in the next little while.